goodbye and unwelcome to the Antiquated Maker Podcast. Today is Thursday, January 25th, 2018. And let me guess, it's not opposite day. It is not opposite day because it's opposite day. <laughs> Boom. So I guess then I'm not Chris Salamone and not with me as always are Mike Notgummery and Ben, um, I don't know, Can't Ada. Something. Something else. <laughs> yeah. Well, either way, I'm not happy to be here. <laughs> okay, what are you working on? Um, I am in Venice, California, um, and just got done taking a, a visit of the of a store on Abbott Kinney, which is like a famous street here in Venice, and uh, gonna start building out the flagship store for the Great uh, Shoe Company. Oh, nice! So, just was was sort of looking at it today, getting an understanding of that, and then meeting with the the CEO of the company and the team that's going to be managing this store tomorrow, and going over their needs, and then uh, after that. Uh, probably heading up to the solar powered workshop and setting up two new X-Carve CNCs that I got from Inventables. And I'm going to be building most of this uh, store's uh, sort of interiors all with those two CNC machines. Nice. So you're going to be doing a lot of plywood furniture, a lot of plywood like shelving and displays? Yeah, uh, particularly the displays. It's going to look like something, sort of a combination of Dr. Seuss and Avatar. It's going to be pretty crazy. (laughs) Okay. And yeah, I mean, I'll be, you know, follow along on my Instagram. I'll be be posting as I go. It'll it'll be a three-week build. It's cool. You know, again, we want to show this use case of how these CNCs uh, could be a good investment for either a designer that wants to, to sort of sell sort of uh, interior build-outs or for a contractor that wants to add a different sort of design aesthetic uh, to their work. I mean, the X-Carves are about $1,200, bucks, and uh, which mm-hmm. isn't a small amount of money, but uh, you know, I'm getting paid like 50000 for a 20-day build-out. Um, and if I can use inexpensive materials like... Uh, and you know that's I have to pay out my labor and all that stuff out of it. That's like the total budget. But I pitched them a design that can be made out of you know inexpensive Home Depot uh, plywood, but it has really cool geometry, which is what they sort of bid on. So what's interesting is like, can I use the CNC to add value to affordable materials that'll then right. trigger a good design uh, fee? Now, obviously, for me, I'll make money off of the content, so that isn't that. But it's still, like I think, like a cool use case scenario where if someone has like a architecture or graphic design or product design background, uh, they may not feel as comfortable with their building skills. But if they could do the 3D modeling, dissect it into easel, and then run the CNCs, they could potentially get into these sort of like retail build-outs, restaurant build-outs, and stuff like that. And... Uh, it, it, that can be pretty a pretty lucrative side hustle. No doubt. And I think that's one thing that's kind of missing. I know Jimmy Duresta does a good job of showing the like, practical use of CNC and lasers and using those like in his commissions and his build-outs. Um, but I think that's a lot of what's missing in YouTube, especially is showing CNCs and, th- and, and laser engravers and whatnot in a way that's like showing how to make it make money rather than cost money. So do you think that's more because those things are new and less accepted or do you think it's because they're less like visually interesting to kind of like passively watch if you're just kind of like watching something for entertainment and vegging out on it a little bit? I, I think it's because people don't like talking about money. Uh, 
And, you know, that was something I was thinking about. It's like, do I really want to share sort of finances? But it's like, I kind of think every once in a while, it's, it's for a project like this, it's important if you're making that thing. It's like people want to know that there's ROI uh, return on investment on things. So, um, yeah, yeah, I think for this one is like I'll, I'll, I'll try to share the numbers as transparently. Uh, hopefully, I'll try to get some quotes. It's weird because I know if I say a number like $50,000, people will be like, oh, my God, that's a lot of you're money. Right. right. But it's not for – I mean – Abbott Kinney is like a super visible like street in a really expensive part of LA. I guarantee you all those other like interior, you know, retail boutiques spent way more than that. Um, and if you were to hire an arch- like uh, my architecture firm to design something like that, it would be $50,000 just for the design, right? Uh, and mm-hmm. it would take a long time. But what I told them is saying, hey, you don't get a lot of feedback on the design. You got... You like my stuff on Instagram and YouTube, so you got to trust me that I'll do something awesome. I'm putting my name on it, so I'm incentivized to make something that's you know pretty badass. So they're they're actually getting a surprisingly good deal, and so if I can sort of give them a good deal, make it work for me, and sort of actually purchase new machines for the for this project, uh, then I think it'll be like a great sort of case study to sh- sort of show this potential for people to build businesses around these machines. Very cool. Chris, what do you got going on? Let's see. I think I talked about it last week, I think, the Grizzly Challenge. Yeah, and I saw it on your Instagram. They sent you a bunch of random pieces of wood, right? Yeah, yeah. I don't know what every species was still, so I think (laughs) there's spalted maple. Yeah. There's babinga. There's like a... I think it's like a stair tread or something because it's already a finished piece, so it needs to be like run through the planer and stuff, but it's African rosewood. And then there's a little piece that I think he said was curly koa or something like that. See, I don't know. Okay, this is a weird project for me because I'm really not like a wood guy in terms of like, look at that grain and like (laughs) the beauty of that wood. It's just not me. Like I know I feel like I'm going to get my woodworking card revoked or something for saying it, but I like, like for me, the plainer looking the wood, the better. You're not a big contrast guy. I would say. I guess not, but I don't mind it if it's like two species of wood that have a lot of contrast, but they're like still both very plain looking. Mm -hmm. But these pieces, man, are extremely figured. So like Ah. the spalted maple, it's like, you know, basically picture maple with like a bunch of black kind of like clouds and veins running through it, I guess would be a good way to describe it. Yeah. And then it's also extremely soft, like, and light. Like so this was a pretty big chunk of wood that he said it's it's over two inches thick and probably like five feet long by I think it was like twenty two inches wide. And so when I was taking it out of the box, I was like, Okay, I better brace myself here and I went to pick it up and it's just like whoop, just like came up like it was filled with helium or something. <laughs> so it's way less dense and, and heavy than I was expecting when I just thought about what um maple is and also like as i've been finishing it and testing it out and stuff it's a lot more orange than what i would expect so it's just totally different to work with than what i'm used to working with and i don't know i'm trying to um with what i'm designing i'm trying to be a lot more simplistic in the shapes but i don't know we'll just see i mean i'm experimenting with it and if it doesn't end up being the prettiest thing i've ever built built then it's not the end of the world but yeah whatever it is what it is. Yeah, it's It'll get you outside of your comfort zone. <laughs> yeah, it's a, I'm get, I want to get back in it. <laughs> get back in your comfort zone. It's a, yeah. it's it's kind of a challenge though because the piece of wood itself is really interesting and it looks cool and it's 
it's cool to look at the piece of wood, but it's a challenge incorporating yeah. it into a project because it's like another thing to try and digest and when you first look at something. That and that since there's three of us doing the project and we all have essentially the same wood to start with, like the no-brainer thing to do with this big chunk of wood is to like use it as a top or kind of leave it somewhat intact is the no-brainer thing to do. But then you think, well, that's what everyone's going to do. And if there's three of us doing it, then I don't want to do that. So I want to do something different with it. So I, I cut it up into a bunch of small pieces and, and I'm making something out of it. Awesome. Who else is in the? Oh, it's uh, William Walker and Kyle Toth. I think the, the key with these things is what you don't use more than how you use it. Right. It's like editing mm-hmm. is, is 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 bigger. And that's often where you make a decisive and bold move. Right. Like the immediate assumption is that, oh, I use most of all these pieces. And, and you know, maybe that's some sort of rule. But I often find, you know, I've been part of a ton of design challenges where they give you this set of things. And the most successful projects are the ones that say, OK, I'm going to use a lot of this and just a tiny little bit of this thing. Right. Because yeah. especially if like contrasty kind of grains isn't really part of your aesthetic it isn't something you vibe with then the max you know utilizing all of this wood and all of this wood might not be the right thing it might be saying i'm only using like 10 percent of this one and like 90 percent of this one so you're still in control of the thing that's almost exactly what i did yeah (laughs) so i ended up using basically 90 percent of the maple and probably like 25 percent of i think it's bobinga i don't even know I'm 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 out of the club, man. They're kicking me out. Well, I feel like you don't have to worry because Kyle Toth is probably making like some kind of bowl or he's turning something. I would imagine, right? Yeah, I'm sure he's doing something wild. Yeah, so I don't think you got to worry too something, much. Something something wild and scantily clad. Yeah, just, <laughs> just be careful what you're turning. <laughs> awesome. Don't get that caught in the lathe. Shout, shout out to Kyle. Kyle's awesome. <laughs> shout out. Well, this week I am working on a new workbench. Um, all all of our talking about workbenches either last week or the week before kind of got me thinking about how mine mm-hmm. has served me well especially for being the like 115 bucks that I spent on it you know 8 months ago from Harbor Freight mm-hmm. but I just need something that has a little bit more depth and uh maybe a foot more in length because the past two projects I've worked the past two projects I've done I've in the middle of the project at one point found myself wishing I had a bigger bigger bench so I'm just going to do it and the idea is it'll be the ultimate two by four workbench, everything out of All two right. by fours. So the legs, I'm gonna lamin- or laminate. I'm gonna glue a couple two by fours together face to face to make a good sturdy, like almost four by four uh, post mm-hmm. for the legs. And then the top will be a bunch of two by fours glued, you know, on edge face to face to give me a good. Probably it'll end up being about a three inch thick tabletop. Um, so that should be cool. I'm gonna put a vise on the end of it. I really like having a vise on the bench that I have now. I'll drill some dog holes, uh, get a little bit of storage around the base. But the idea is just to make something that's really beefy for the person that's interested in using hand planes a lot and all that kind of stuff. It'll have enough mass to not go sliding across your garage as soon as you start like really laying into something. Mm-hmm. And then for someone that's more like me that uses more power tools, a little less traditional stuff, I want to have some... I want to... In one of the legs, I'm going to hide a, hide a cord so I can have a power strip running on the underneath of the workbench so that... All my sanders, anything that plugs in, can just plug in onto the bench rather than running an extension cord from the wall. Um, So just doing things to make it a little more personalized, a little more convenient for workflow. Um, So that should be cool. And I priced it all out. It should should cost about 60 bucks minus the hardware for the vice. So that's going to be really affordable. That's pretty dope. Yeah, it's going to be really affordable and 
That's reasonable. And just generally, I think, just heavy, beefy, and good. And I want to be able to make it to where the base and the top are not glued together in any way so that if you're moving shops, which I will be mm-hmm. doing soon, I'll be able to break everything down, move it, put it back together, and it'll still be really strong and sturdy. So Nice. Aside from that, today I went and I quoted uh, some people at a local business here to do a commission, which is the first time I've done that in like eight months, a year. I have not done a commission in a long time, but I had uh, somebody that listens to the podcast, I think, and watches the, watches the videos. He emailed me and said he was interested in a conference table in me designing and building a conference table for him. And so today I went, uh, talked to them about what kind of style they're looking for. Turns out they want a round table. Um, so mm. it's not going to be too huge. The room is going to be 12 feet by about 14 feet that it's going in. So mm-hmm. it's not huge. I think I'm going to end up putting a six foot table in diameter. So maybe less a conference table, more uh, just a big round dining table. I'm not sure how I'm going to title the video, but I've got a couple ideas for it. I'm going to sketch up maybe three, four designs in SketchUp, send those to him, see what kind of silhouette he likes, and then we can refine those designs a little bit further but what's cool is because he is you know a fan of the channel and everything i asked him if it was okay if i just film the process film our phone conversations all of that and i'm going to be editing that into a you know how to price your work and do commission how to basically do commission work and i'm going to do a video for that for my second channel because i know a lot of people are really interested in that and now that i don't really have the opportunity to do that very often um i want to go ahead and you know Take the chance and do it now. What if your advice was step one, start a YouTube channel. Right. Step two, acquire 500,000 <laughs> right, <so, laughs> subscribers. So the video is not going to be about like how to find clients more than right, like right, once right. you have somebody interested. How to work with the client. Yeah. Once you have somebody interested, this is how you go through the process of figuring out, you know, what size table they want, what they want it to look like design wise, how to talk to mm-hmm. them and, and refine yeah. that design. And then finally talk a little bit about pricing, material choice and, and that kind of stuff. How are you going to cut the circle? Are you going to use just like a jigsaw on like a thing or a router or? Well, so before I made a round dining table a while back and I saw it was inspired by Jimmy DeResta. He made a circular saw jig Mm. similar to what most people use a router jig. Um, But the problem with that is you have to take maybe a 32nd of an inch pass at a time. So to get through that full two by four top that I had, it took probably 30, 40 passes around in a circle. So I'm going to use a router jig, I think, to do this one. You can use that palm router? Probably, yes. Yeah, I think that I think that would be pretty pretty awesome for it because, yeah, I think you could do some cool stuff with it. Yeah, I was just thinking uh, I probably wouldn't use it if it was a 2x4 top or a 2x6 top just because that's a lot of meat, but I'm going to probably end up making the top out of a 3 quarter inch sheet of plywood or glue up a panel that's 3 quarters of an inch thick. And I think that palm mm-hmm. router shouldn't have too much trouble with that now did this come on the heels of like seeing the like the new stuff that you've been doing with the metal and wood or i don't um i think it was coincidence in terms of timeline but he Mm -hmm. i did talk a little bit in terms of are you wanting you know a metal base wood base round base uh you know legs you know with with a round table you've got a lot of options you know and so i was just kind of trying to narrow it down a little bit and he said he really liked the legs on the most recent metal and wood dining table that i did yeah the one that you put out so i'm thinking week. maybe yeah so i'm thinking maybe something a little bit in that vein but it would obviously be all wood so the construction will be a lot different okay you know i'll be using if if that's the route that we go i'll be using dowels to reinforce all of the joints 
but still keeping it to where all the pieces are probably going to be cut on a miter saw. Everything's going to be real simple, really quick, and uh, accessible is the plan. Nice. But he's got. But it's cool because lately I've been building most things out of pine, plywood, mm-hmm. or two by four, two by six stuff. But they've got a pretty decent budget to work with, so I'm going to be using walnut, maple, or bamboo. We have not yet decided. Well, actually, nice. we've decided it's not walnut. We've come to the conclusion <laughs> that it wants it needs to be a light finish. So. Mm-hmm. And that's part of the whole video is like Bam- talking people into like, okay, we don't know what species we want, but do you want a light wood or you want a dark wood? You know what I mean? It's like narrowing down those options to find the right fit. So Bam- bamboo is kind of an interesting material to work with. I've never worked with it. Like, how do you buy it? Like, what does it come in even? Uh, it comes in like sheets of plywood. Like, you is can it get like-, like four by eight sheets and you can get them thick too. You can get them like an inch and a quarter, inch and a half thick or three quarter inch thick. So the people, they've got a bunch of standing desks, like very desk type things, and they've got a black metal base and a bamboo top on them. So I'm kind of tempted to to make it out of bamboo. One, because I've never tried it before and I'm kind of interested in it, but two, just so it'll kind of match and be a part of the whole scheme there. It's a very dimensionally stable material. Um, It can kind of chip out a little bit. So I would like test your cuts and do like multiple passes with the the router of what you're cutting for. But uh, I think... For a circle, it would be pretty nice um, because the grain's nice and tight. You won't have like weird sort of like mismatched things. And it basically comes like pre-done in a butcher block. So you'd only have to add like one seam. And since it is a circle, one, that's kind of hard if I was to use plywood to edge bend that circle. And bamboo has a really interesting like the the edge of it looks really cool because it is it's laminated. But the but it's like quarter inch thick like layers almost of bamboo so it kind of looks cool from the edge yeah and and like weight wise it's super strong for how much it weighs it's like lightweight but really strong right on so i'm I'm already leaning towards bamboo so i'm gonna go and check out what i have local and if they've got good material that's probably what i'm gonna try out so it matches all the rest of you, their stuff you can also order it online and have it delivered pretty quick yeah that's an option we don't have a i know last week we had no topic well, actually, we did have a topic last week. We just never got oh, to it. Oh, yeah. But this week, we kind of loosely have a topic, just something that I've gotten a few questions from people about recently, so I thought maybe you guys have too. So Yeah, I've had a few people message me about it. Yeah, we could talk about it and just see if it kind of goes off into a different direction. But I've had a few people message me about the new, I don't even know what to call it, like the YouTube partner rules. So that's basically like how you can have your channel monetized. I guess they changed the rules recently. So it used to be that you just had to have, I think, 10,000 total views. And now the new rule is that you have to have a thousand subscribers and 4,000 hours of view time. So I know I've actually, I haven't really read through the threads, but like I've seen it come up a lot on Facebook in the I like to make stuff um, group. And like I said, I've had a few people message me individually about it. We had a, a topic come up in our subreddit about it. And so that's what prompted me to be like, all right, let's let's just talk about it real quick. That way if if people ask us again, we can be like, go listen to the Modern Maker podcast. It's just a way to market <laughs> ourselves. Everything's an opportunity. So my take on it was basically and again, I guess I'll preface this by saying I haven't play, paid super close attention to that. And part of that could be selfishly because it doesn't affect me. So I, I don't know. I'm just not paying that much attention to it. But in general, I would I like to think about these kind of things. Like what would I tell a person? So say I'm just having a conversation with a person rather than trying to speak to like the 10,000 people this affects. Just think about the one person this affects. So my advice to them would be don't be a victim. So if you think about it, 
like at that level from a money perspective, like the money you would be making at that, like you just are small and are just big enough to start being of, you know, where it's even an option to get money. You're probably getting like a hundred bucks over the course of three months, something like that. Right. So the money at that point, like, you know, it's nice and it, maybe it like motivates you or whatever, but you're not doing it at that level because of the money. You're doing it because it's something that you want to do and, you know, you want to grow something. So I don't think you should let something like that discourage you from what could go on to be something really big and really successful. So actually, I'll just say the person who started the thread in the subreddit, um, his name's Johnny Builds. That's his channel's name also. And he's pretty new to this stuff, but I subscribe to his channel. I follow him on um, Instagram. He, he makes cool stuff. So basically what I told him was, don't worry about it because, you know, whatever that threshold is, at some point, if you're doing good stuff, you're going to go past it. And I, I believe that he will. He makes good stuff. His videos are nicely edited. You know, you can tell that he cares about what he's doing and that he's in it for the long, for the long haul. So, you know, it might be a temporary delay for him, but he's going to make it. I, I do believe that. So I know everybody's situation is like a little bit different and I'm not trying to defend YouTube and I'm also not trying to go to bat for them, but I think that people already do too much of, I don't know, what's a good way to put this kind of like acting like a business is a person where Mm -hmm. that business is trying to hurt or favor other individuals. I, I don't think that they are. And I know that I think that they're doing what's in their best interest. And in doing that, you know, some people will be hurt and some people will be helped. It's just kind of a result of that. Yeah, let's 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 think about it from this way, right? And I, I agree with a lot of things that you said. So from the way I understand the thing, now this doesn't impact me, but right. this the the you know, before people say, Hey, you guys all have big channels, so it's it's okay, oh you're you know, shilling for YouTube. I would like to emphasize we all started from zero. Mm-hmm. Right. We, everyone does. We all uploaded a video with zero subscribers at some point. Uh, and we kept adding videos and kept adding subscribers until these kind of things uh, don't affect us. Now, YouTube, and, and just so people know that I'm consistent, YouTube has changed lots of things that have impacted us. This isn't one of us. And my, my reaction is almost always the same. Like, uh, whether it's good for me, whether it's bad for me, it's like, it's not ever worth it to complain. It's good to try to understand what is their motivation behind it so that you can understand and create a strategy. And anyone, either the part that really cracks me up is that I see people uh, saying, YouTube is so stupid. I can't believe they would do this, right? Mm-hmm. YouTube is a lot of things. They're not stupid. Uh, actually, this this weekend, I was at uh, Google for OrdCamp, which is like a, a private conference of sort of like tech people and makers. And like Bob Claggett from I Like to Make Stuff was there, David Picciuto, Jim, Jimmy DeResta, a whole bunch of Google people, a bunch of YouTube people, um, all sorts of people. And let me like one thing I know about employees of Google, they are really, really, really smart. <laughs> they mm-hmm. are very stable geniuses. Uh, to, to <laughs> um, so the, these <laughs> stable geniuses. to get political. Yeah, um, and that does it doesn't mean they don't make mistakes. Absolutely, um, but th- think about what the people are actually a- accusing them of. What Google is saying is they're saying it's Google doesn't make money off of YouTubers until they have AdSense, and they're making it harder. YouTube is making it harder but simpler for them 
to make money off of YouTubers. Right. And you know what YouTube is, is doing? They're paying for web hosting service. All they did is they said, you know what, YouTube people that don't have a big audience yet, we're going to continue to foot the bill for web hosting for you. Mm-hmm. And we're not going to even put you into the system where we make money off you yet because we want to wait until you're a little bit bigger. We want to wait until we see you're a little more committed and we want to wait until we can do it in like a bigger and more consistent bunch, right? So it isn't like YouTube being like super greedy. This is YouTube sort of cleaning up. And as loud as you may yell, part of the reason they're doing this is because there was another group of consumers yelling even louder. And those people were yelling about why were ads being run on sort of inappropriate content, which was doing that. And so what YouTube is doing is they're sort of saying, hey, we're going to have fewer channels running content so that we can better police them. Um, And this is a classic example of like a a mob of users, in this case, YouTube. And some, a lot of people were doing really shady stuff, uh, making these weird kind of creepy videos that, that were getting ads that were sort of masquerading as sort of child or children's friendly content and ads were getting run on them and people were getting, uh, rightfully upset. So, uh, this is more them cleaning house. This isn't about them trying to screw over small creators and every big creator started as a small creator. So, what, what I sort of find in these things is, uh, again, anytime something happens like this, look for the opportunity. There are opportunities here, right? So even the, in the outrage of small creators, there's an opportunity. Band together. Make a super channel, right? Create a cross-promotional uh, schedule with each other. Find all the other people that have their feelings hurt the way Sam you do. And I'm not saying that in a disparaging way. That's, that's a perfectly valid reaction. But use that valid reaction in a productive way. Group together, uh, create your own version of an MCM, promote each other, uh, create super channels where you all feature some of your best videos into one big channel, and then as you build that channel up, cross-promote. If you don't have time to produce a video every week or a video every month, team up with other people that can. Do collabs, share audience, all those things. Uh, Reach out to media outlets and offer them your, uh, uh, your videos for embedding. Um, there are opportunities within all these things. And to be honest, this thing wouldn't have impacted me anyways, because I didn't even monetize my channel. I think till I had a couple hundred thousand or a, like over 20,000 subscribers. Um, like I just never turned it on cause I, I, I hated ads and I didn't realize I, I didn't even pay attention to YouTube when I started it. I just was focusing on making video, throwing up the videos whenever they were ready. I didn't monetize it cause I don't like watching ads. Um, but I didn't realize that that would actually slow my growth. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, di- I didn't have like ads running, I think, till like six months later. Um, find the opportunity in your dissatisfaction and then take action from there and don't whine. Yeah, I like it. I don't have too much to add there. I think you covered the bases, Ben. I, I just think the takeaway is Google isn't going to do it. They're not trying to take away money from creators because they every dollar that I make, Google makes a dollar as well. Yeah. I don't know if everybody understands that. The people listening, I'm sure the people that have channels understand that. But the way Google ads work is it's split 50-50. And so Google isn't going to take away money from my pocket because it's taking away money from their pocket, and they're not going to do that for no reason. Mm-hmm. And the whole policing situation with like inappropriate channels is the whole reason that all this is happening, like Ben explained. Um, so I just think it's like, look at it because it is for the greater good, and for the greater good, sometimes people get the short end of the stick, and unfortunately, that's what kind of had to happen in a way because without doing that, 
YouTube is just going to see more and more sponsors withdraw. And if there's not enough sponsors to go around, it doesn't matter how big your channel is. Nobody's going to get ads. And we don't want that because <laughs> right. not we don't want that. Not saying that from a greedy perspective, but if if channels can't support themselves, then there goes channels and then there goes, you know, there goes the whole YouTube community, which is something that we don't want. Right. And even, right. you know, even if you were new to it and you wanted to selfishly look at it in an optimistic way, you could just say the higher and I don't even know that this is true, but the higher the bar is to entry. Once you enter, there will be fewer people here. So you will be yeah. in a better position, you know, when you cross that threshold or whatever. Yeah. And and who knows? That could increase CPM long term. So once you do hit that threshold, now that there's less ads to go around because they're not going to these small channels, each click is more valuable. Each ad watch is more valuable to the advertiser. So who knows? That could just be a thing that, you know, overall increases the rate of ads that people have to spend. Yeah. Or just even less concern about what they're advertising on. Exactly. And so who knows? It could be, you know, just a long term, it could be a rising tide situation. And, you know, short term, like I said, someone's got to draw the short straw. And unfortunately, that happens. And, and, and the other thing I would bring, so, you know, we were we were all on a panel talking about uh, YouTube. And, you know, there there was there's a lot of differences of opinions. Like, uh, I think Bob Claggett is is awesome. Uh, I I've listened to every one of their podcasts. Uh, I've watched like probably most of his videos. Uh, I think he's one of the smartest people in our space, and I've learned like a ton from him. But me and him, like, I have totally different like philosophical uh, views and approaches for YouTube towards audience growth, towards the sort of how we run the business side, and. I love that. Like, right? I, the the differences are strong. I, we, I was sitting there talking to him the other night, and we, it was just fun, sort of, you know, picking his brain and hearing how how differently he sort of just thinks, uh, you know, not just about the business, but just like how he thinks about it relative to as almost even as like a form of self expression versus like how I think of it is like where where we sort of stress what it is that we own and what it is that uh, we're sort of doing. So there's there's so many ways to do this. But if you are interested in the financial aspect of it, you know, growth is the is the thing you need to focus on in the beginning. And right. you know, one of the topics that kept coming up is people always say this thing about consistency. And consistency is like a great habit. And I think it's like flossing your teeth, right? There's been a lot of studies done that say that uh, people that floss their teeth on a regular basis, live longer and have all sorts of like better health metrics. Huh. <laughs> Part of that is correlation, yeah. not just causation, right? right. And to me, Tail consistency, right? To me, consistency is like the good is like flossing your teeth. It's like the good, healthy, general habit that if you got that, it probably means you're doing a lot of the other things. But I would I consistently argue that it is less important for audience growth in the beginning than it is for maximizing revenue once you have an avenue, uh, ha- have a big audience, right? Mm-hmm. So for example, when I look at like where uh, I've been pretty consistent over the last three or four years, and that has led to audience growth. But because I was consistent, I produced a lot of videos. And because I produced a lot of videos, some of those videos performed really great and others not so great. And those, But those really great videos were actually the videos that were driving audience growth, right? There's probably, of the, oh, you know, almost 200 videos that I've posted, probably I would say like half of my audience came from like 10% of the videos. Right. 
So now, would I have created those those ten videos if I wasn't consistent? Probably not. But right. those weren't the things that were doing it. So uh, you know, there's there's so many ways to grow, uh, and early on. If you're not focused on growth, then the business part isn't going to come, right? It's right. But I see so many people worrying about, uh, you know, senior problems when they're a freshman. Um, and the, the the best way to sort of to to get to the the good business problems are to sort of get past that first step, which is just focusing on audience growth, and that is fundamentally driven by awesome creative content. Yeah, Ben, to to kind of leap off on something that you said, so. So when you were talking about Bob, so how you, the two of you have very different um, philosophies about what you're doing, but the commonality, so both of you are very successful in what you're doing. And I think that the commonality that you share is you both put a lot of effort into what you do and it shows that like you really care about it and that you're passionate about it and always trying to do good, make good stuff. So I think that like to even step back and simplify even one more step than like saying early on focus on growth, I would say focus on yourself and making the best thing that you can possibly make at this time that has to do with like, you know, what you're making, how you're producing it, editing it, all that stuff. Just make it the best that you can. And that's the thing that's going to serve you best. Like that's what's going to give you the best shot at success. Absolutely. Don't stress over $100 now. Stress over, instead, just work, and so you're making thousands of dollars later. Right. It's like I say, whenever I was first taking the first few sponsorships I had, I think it was great, and it was a good learning experience, but in reality, I probably should have waited another six months to even worry about that stuff, because Mm -hmm. the amount of effort that I put in, in making the contact, talking about the whole sponsorship thing and then getting approval, you know, all of the interaction that happens with a sponsor outside of just creating the video itself. Mm -hmm. If I spent that time just working on more videos, there's a good chance that I, you know, could have grown faster, been able to put out more content. A lot of people are, and I, and I have people that get in touch with me and stuff, ask, you know, talking about the fact that they're interested in sponsorships and stuff like that, but they still have a really small channel. Mm -hmm. And my advice always is, when you get big enough, sponsors will come to you. And, and if they don't, then at least you'll have a big enough channel that you'll be able to le- leverage a decent deal with brands. Because one thing, you just don't want to get into a bad long-term contract early on. And then secondly, it's just the rate you're going to be able to charge. And I think this parlays well with the original conversation is that no matter what, you're going to be doing the same amount of work. A sponsorship is a sponsorship one way or the other. But if you have 10,000 subscribers you're going to barely get paid from it or get paid, you know what I mean? Or not get paid at all. It could be just like a, a mm-hmm. product placement type of thing. But if you spend that effort of acquiring a sponsor and dealing with a sponsor and put that towards making more videos, and then in six months have 100,000 subscribers, what was a basically free sponsorship is now a decently paid sponsorship. And you know what I mean? It's about looking yeah. down the road rather than trying to cash out really early on before it's even worth it. Yeah. Not only that, but I think I think there's a big psychological factor too as because as you would get bigger and you have more opportunities coming your way, you will start to find yourself in a position where your demand is in short supply. Yep. And so when you're when you only have one opportunity and you're kind of small like you want to make the most of that opportunity and it puts a lot of like pressure on yourself for like, 
oh, I don't want to negotiate and then lose this thing. But then like once you have, you know, a few different suitors coming your way, it takes a lot of that pressure off for you to like ask for something that's more fair to you and to not put yourself in a bad position because you know that, well, if, you know, if this person doesn't want to do what's fair for both of us, then somebody else will. Yeah. You don't always have to sign the Reebok deal. Maybe wait a year and get that Nike check. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. I think that's the analogy. And to try to and to try to make these these this advice a little bit more broad to to not YouTube is like whether you're thinking of YouTube or any sort of making business or or anything like that, I think it's often helpful, you know, especially if you're starting by yourself as sort of like a one person deal. That is the business. You are the business, not YouTube, not make Etsy, not eBay. Uh, not uh, selling, you know, custom services on Craigslist or Fiverr or any of those things. It's it's you, right? So to right. build your business around a platform uh, rather than your own sort of uh, capabilities and uh, strengths, I think is a little bit problematic. You want to start with the core of what you're really good at. What's your sort of you know unfair advantage, and then dole that out and distribute that unfair advantage onto whatever platforms best uh, uh, exhibit it. Mm-hmm. Good stuff. Any other thoughts on the topic? I know we kind of went off topic, but... No, I think I think that's pretty good. If anybody wants to get in touch with us about it, we're, we're happy to talk. Yeah, ask a follow-up question. We'll talk about it next week. This exactly. will just run. This will be our whole series for 2018. Well, I was that's thinking we'll just answer them personally in a DM, but one or the other. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see how good of a question it is, I guess. Cool. Yeah. Uh, Oh, I also wanted to talk about uh, uh, what we're sort of uh, posting on uh, Well Made this week. What are we posting? I'm posting a, what do you call it when it's like a cross-cut kind of live-edge slab of wood? Like Oh, a cookie is what people call them around my area. <laughs> you mean like a section of a log? Like a cross-section. Rather than like taking a slab out of the wood, it's like if the tree is standing up, you're taking a horizontal cut out of it. Yeah, you chainsaw parallel it. to the ground. Yeah, yeah, like a like a coin. It's like a crosscut slab. Cookie, I guess. We'll call yeah, it yeah, a crosscut yeah. slab. Yeah. So, I am uh, posting a video on Dwell Made uh, today of a uh, live edge walnut crosscut slab table. Awesome. And it's a slab that was cut very very roughly with a chainsaw, and I used a palm router and made a router sled to to level it, um, and it worked pretty well it was it was it was a pretty easy one so um check that out also a big fan of palm routers talked about that before and uh yeah so that's going up on dwell made and on my youtube channel i posted a uh kitchen island uh this week i saw that i liked that a lot it was really it was a really simple project but man it it had a lot of like it looked really neat it was really unique yeah it was it was one of those things where i had the piece of stone yeah. And so because that was so visually nice and I got that thing for like 60 bucks um, and it's it was nice because it's not polished granite. It's honed slate. So it's a little bit more matte. Um, and I just like soaked in a whole bunch of mineral oil to, to, to seal it. So I almost like I made the simplest base I could 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 possibly imagine because I really just wanted it to be almost shaker style and then really just exhibit that piece of stone. Question. For, this kind of goes back to your the um, palm router for the the slab that you used. Did you use a cordless palm router? Yep, and only only had to switch to battery once. Hmm. Oh, this week I hit half a million subscribers. 
not to yeah get, congrats, congrats man. man we've been talking about you That's know awesome youtube shitting on the small channel as well here we go half a million like, <laughs> that, that's that's a big one that's a you know yeah. it's like that's that's a big one uh congrats man has any landmark felt biggest for you guys that one felt pretty excited i haven't like hundred thousand felt the biggest for me that's a good point and you get the whole plaque and everything you get the and plaque, that's really yeah. cool but i will say i didn't i stayed up until like three in the morning so i could see it yeah, pa- hit that. a half a million I haven't done that for any other like landmark or any other thing. So yeah, half a million was cool. Plus, it's, it's a good way yeah. of just saying like, how many subscribers do you have? Oh, about a half a million. Yeah, it's a you nice, can say that really nice no- even huge number. Yeah, you can say that really nonchalant, and it can be impressive. Half mil. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's always um, like I found that. I mean, for me, it was one thousand, ten thousand, hundred thousand felt yep. the most substantial of. You know, the three that I hit, I'm at, I think I'm at like 192,000 or something like that right now. Um, but they kind of all felt the same to me just because like your jadedness or whatever changes. <laughs> yeah, so it's it kind of all like relative. Every lamb, And it's like every time too, it's like you're, you really like keep your eye on that thing as just like a motivational thing. And to kind of go back to the original conversation, I, I would look at like the the money as that. It's just kind of like a, a validation motivation thing. But it, every time I hit like, so a hundred thousand or whatever, it's like, I'm really looking at it. And then you hit it. And like, I'll like stop for like two seconds and be like, cool, I did it. And then be like, okay, now what? Yeah, like it's like yeah. an empty feeling if you really <laughs> focus on those things. If that's what you're chasing, you're going to be really uh, disappointed unhappy. when you get yeah, there. Disappointed. Yeah. yeah. Cause it is fleeting. It's like really exciting for an hour. I still think hundred thousand is the big milestone. Like hundred thousand is normally when brands really start coming to yeah. you, um, and hundred thousand is when it's like an officially a side hustle that can be a business, right? Like, like you can live off of a hundred thousand subscribers. If, yeah, you know, you're not going to be balling, but you can make a living off of a hundred thousand subscribers if you're if you're producing you know quality content and doing it in a responsible. Uh, you know, uh, family friendly kind of way. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think um, you could probably even do it smaller if you like really got into like a specific niche oh, within sure, yeah. a niche. Yeah. Like, you know, if you really drill down on the specificity of it, you can, I think there's a lot of opportunities. Yeah. But I'd say 100,000, like for me, that was the one where I felt like, you know what? I'm doing it. I got yeah. this. Like, uh, this, this is not just an experiment and a hobby. This is like something I can, I can really uh, build upon. Um, so, you know, for, for me, it's like, well, milestones are interesting, right? Like, uh, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, I'm going to hit a million this year, you know, knock on wood. <laughs> um, and, you know, that, that'll, that'll be, that'll be a big one. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if, if I get there, uh, it's got a lot to do still. Yep. Um, how, how do you guys sort of think about milestones now, right? Like it's easy to, to sort of say how you felt about them after you get them because it's kind of safe. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, do you make like conscious sort of plans or – because anytime you're vulnerable, anytime you say, hey, I want to do this, right? Like uh, I want to hit a million subscribers. You're kind of vulnerable because people love it if you say you're going to, you know, accomplish something and then you don't do it. And they go, <laughs> oh, Yeah. Look at that idiot. He's like, hey, I have till the <laughs> uh, end of time to hit it. So Yeah. Well, it's funny because I, I, I told, you know, whenever I was talking like, to friends or family that, you know, know that I do YouTube and they ask how big my channel is and I say this and that they're like, wow, that's crazy. 
for you know the last four months of the year, I said, yeah, I should be at a half a million before the year's up, but it didn't happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I mean, I, obviously, uh. that's that's a small thing, but it's kind of one of those things that like as soon as you say something, or as soon as as soon as you say it, now now you have expectations. Um, and yeah, it, it was that modern picnic table just really set you back? <laughs> it was the picnic table, <laughs> <laughs> and then those candles didn't help either. No. Yeah. All of a sudden, Mike, we just have to have like a. Uh, it should, you should just put up an Instagram story of just like the candle slowly lighting that picnic <laughs> table on fire and not say anything. <laughs> That'd be hilarious. It's funny because those projects, like I know you've kind of said it, but like I, I've looked at it and like they're not doing that bad. I think it's become like it's become the new mark it has, of just like yeah. making fun of those projects. Got to have something to rib at. They're fine. <laughs> they're fine. Oh yeah, well, it was funny. Like uh, you know, like uh. Uh, I was talking to the the folks from Dwell uh, Magazine today, and they're saying, you know, some of the, the the designs they they weren't so popular with our audience. And I was like, well, what audience? And they're like, oh, we posted some videos on Facebook, and uh, <laughs> people said some mean things. <laughs> Everybody is about mean them. on Facebook, I swear, because I have a lot of accounts that I have a lot of accounts on Facebook. I call them like aggregate accounts where they repost content and stuff, and I use that to share mine, similar to what you do, Ben. Yeah. And there's nothing more toxic than the comment section of those videos that get shared because yeah, it's not. It just I can think of one place. It just goes out to a ton yeah. of people that well, have no idea who you are, are not fans of you to start, so they've got no reason to be nice. But then on the second level, it's just like, man, it seems like the people on Facebook are looking at something to shit on, and it's so I don't even look at comments yeah. on those. Did they say which designs it was, or do you know which ones it was that they didn't like? Oh, it was a couple of them. <laughs> um, All of them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and and you know it was interesting too, and and I guess this is like sort of loosely related to to what we're talking about, but it's sort of about separating the signal and the noise right like uh you know and and the first question i asked them is like oh well that's unfortunate how many of those people unfollowed the that that page on facebook and they're like oh we didn't check i'm like oh well that's that's more that would be the damage right and it's the same thing it's like there's a lot of times where we hear some news and our adrenaline gets all fired fired up. We get a cortical, cortisol spike. We get all uncomfortable, all anxious, angry, uh, annoyed, fearful, all these things before we actually look and to see what's actually wrong. Um, and again, it's you know I, I say this all the time about comments is if you know you know we, we we make fun of each other about some of the things that didn't work out the way we had hoped like uh like the like the modern picnic table but i bet you, you didn't have massive unsubscribe right yeah, exactly. you didn't have massive unsubscribes from that right no. so you really it but but sometimes we look at it and the disappointment makes makes it uh us think that we like did something to hurt ourselves no yeah but yeah. we didn't we what we did is we just like didn't hit, we hit a we hit we bunted a single instead of hitting a home run when we were right. hoping to hit a home run yeah, but we still progressed. There's still you probably still gained subscribers from that post. Right, you just didn't get as much right? out of something as you would have liked to. Exactly right. Like you know, it wasn't the, the the most efficient use of your time you've ever done, but it still probably most likely was a net positive. Mm-hmm. And that's like, there's so many more things out there that are discouraging than there are encouraging. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's like. You know, one of the one of the most helpful things I can tell anyone long term trying to do anything hard is to always be, you know, 
always embrace the encouraging. Just don't question that. Like if you get like a like if if you get a fist pump and a happy dance out of like any little victory that comes your way, fuck yeah, like ride ride that shit out. Yeah. <laughs> but do the opposite when like when negative stuff happens is like just be real real even keel and just immediately look, well what was the actual damage? Mm-hmm. And a ton of times it wasn't actually that bad. Exactly. Right. Cool. Well, what are you guys obsessed with this week? You go first, Mike. I have one? Okay. Well, I'm prepped. I'm ready for it. Um, I guess it's not really an obsession. I don't know. I'm going to call it a shout out. Um, And that is Beam News put out a video called Kimball Musk's Farm of the Future. Um, So the the idea is it's Elon Musk's brother, the guy that started Tesla and SpaceX and whatnot. He's working on this farming company where what they're doing is they're, they're buying land, I think, in Brooklyn, New York. And they've put like 80 to 100 something shipping containers on there. And they're making small like farms inside of these shipping containers that are supposed to be really, really efficient for water use and whatnot. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's just an interesting kind of thing for people that are, I think, in our audience, people that are interested, you know, in architecture and sustainable design and all that kind of stuff. I think a lot of people would be interested in, in checking that out if they haven't seen it already. Um, but it's cool. It talks about the upsides of it, the downsides of it, you know, where they still need to progress before it's like a legitimate option uh, for, you know, for actually producing food for a large city. Um, but it's cool. It's interesting. Plus, uh, with all the shipping container stuff that's going to be happening in the near future, I think it's relevant. Yeah, yeah. I will check that out. Ben, what do you got? Uh, I am currently obsessed with Venice, California, because it's, it's... <laughs> I that's mean, where you are. Yeah, it's just, it's such a weird place, too. Like, uh, and parts of it are just, you know, disgusting and dirty and filthy and, uh, you know, you know. Uh, but it's just so quirky. Like, yeah, they, they have these, like, little streets. They're wa- little walking streets. So they actually have, like, street signs and addresses, but, like, they're just for walking. They're just, like, a single sidewalk, and then there's, like, trees on either side. So it's just mm-hmm. really just a path. And then people's houses are are off of those. So it creates this whole other like little kind of like mini community. And it's also very eclectic. Uh, There'll be like, and I posted it on my Instagram stories, like there'll be a a little craftsman bungalow right next to this like super modern looking house, right next to like a Spanish style little cabin or Mm -hmm. or villa or right next to a Victorian house, right? And people have these ideas sometimes that, you know, oh, this neighborhood needs to be this style. But, like, the eclecticness and the randomness is actually, like, really cool. And it almost makes them all look better because they're such individual personalities right up next to each other. And then there's this sort of overlay of pedestrian friendliness and, like, lots of, like, trees and, like, weird stuff. So, um, also, like, there's just so many of these cool kind of, like, like, I walk past this place called, like, uh, Iron and Resin, which is just, like, surfboards and motorcycles and then there's this like you know uh you ever heard of the shop uh deus machina yeah it's like a famous sort of like like cafe racer and surf shop brand and like oh the interior design is like you would really dig it mike it's like it's all like wood and sort of concrete tables really badass sort of like cafe racers it's like a coffee shop then there's like surfboards it's just like it's it's Pretty cool. It's hipster heaven. Um, yeah, it's so, it's the modern man cave. Yeah, so it, like Venice is just a just kind of a, a funky place. It's a great place to get twenty dollar avocado toast. Um, <laughs> and yeah, 
Sweet. Chris. Nice. I got a music pick, but it's actually a really old music pick, but I don't know if you guys have ever listened to The Smiths. That's mm. Morrissey. So um, I've listened to them a lot, but for I don't know, for whatever reason, I've just been on a kick again. You ever do that where you just like get back on a kick of a band that you used to listen to and you're just like, man, why wasn't I listening to this for the last five years? Yeah. But yeah, man, I love them. Like if you, if you like good good vocal melodies and uh, some pretty good bass lines, good guitar, if you like good music. Yeah. That's kind of funny because I uh, I started listening to well I saw a Nerdwriter video and it was basically about a Fleetwood Mac song or a Fleetwood uh-huh. Mac album and he talked about the production and the writing that went into it. Uh, yeah. If you're not already watching Nerdwriter videos, they're awesome. Thank you, Chris, for like putting me onto those. You're welcome. Um, but after I watched that video, I was like, you know what? I used to my dad used to listen to like stupid amounts of Fleetwood Mac for some reason. So as a kid, mm-hmm. it was always on. And so yeah. while I was out in the shop one day, I put it on Spotify. And, I was, and now I've been listening to, like, a lot of classics. Nice. Did you so. tell your dad? And he's like, all right, Mike, you finally I got some taste. I haven't. I probably should. He'd be proud of me. <laughs> Fleetwood Mac's pretty pretty outstanding no stuff, I gotta say. Um, oh, actually, I want to give one more shout-out. Like, uh, I want to give a shout-out to the Making It uh, podcast guys. Hung out with them uh, this weekend. And... Uh, yeah, just, I mean, I'm sure if you listen to our podcast, you're probably aware of their podcast. So, but if you're not, if you're one of the, the if you're in that few, uh, one half of the Venn diagram <laughs> little uh, segment, make sure, make sure you check out the, the guys from the making it podcast. If you like ours, you're going to like theirs. And, uh, they're just, they're just three. They're so different. Um, they all bring something, uh, unique to the table. It was, they're all like kind thoughtful people um and it was just really fun to to hang out with them and they don't curse like us you know what actually okay so <laughs> that venn diagram the the population that you're speaking to right now all i could think of would be my wife my parents your guys parents <laughs> if they listen <laughs> that's pretty much it hey don't sell us short man we've got a broad reach no i'm okay? saying those are the only people that would be listening to us and not listening to yeah, and that's what I'm saying. Don't sell us short. Who knows? We've got some more oh, there's a lot of growth people. out here. Jeez. Yeah, Mike, Mike's bringing that millennial audience. That's exactly. Right. You're welcome. Got Mike, all the all the young kids from Mike. And now they've all just heard of the Smiths. Go listen. He's, he's getting all those uh, Logan Paul uh, fall-offs. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you guys for listening to this episode. Hope you enjoyed it. If you're not already, you can follow us at Modern Maker Podcast, at Four Eyes Furniture, at Benjamin Ueda, and at Modern Builds. Speaking of Dwell Made, like Ben did a second ago, that is at Dwell Made, the Instagram account. But if you're trying to find the videos, just search Dwell Made on YouTube or just find the Dwell YouTube account. That's where everything is at. We're putting out a video every week. Um, They're really similar to the videos we're already putting out. They're not anything crazy, not anything super different, but it's just in a different place. So go find them, go subscribe, go watch them, like them. Um, Any kind of engagement you can give on the videos helps us right now because it is still a, a channel in its infancy. So... We really appreciate any, any support you guys can give. Um, that's it. If you guys have any topic suggestions, any questions you think we need answered, feel free to DM, DM us on Instagram individually. Email us at modernmakerpodcast at gmail.com. And that's about it. Thank you guys for listening, and we'll see you next week on the Modern Maker Podcast. Bye, everybody. See you. Later. Or we won't see you. Happy opposite day. Hello. Hello. Sorry, that was shitty. <laughs> that was bad. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Bye, sorry. everybody. Good stuff.